Physics World. Hello, and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. In this episode, I meet a physicist who works on a small experiment on the Large Hadron Collider. This experiment focuses on the detection of dark matter and neutrinos. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by ISEG, which specializes in the development and production of high-voltage power supplies, especially for research, science, and large experiments. By using modern resonant converter technology, ISEG delivers very efficient and high-precision power supplies in different form factors, with excellent electrical parameters and very low ripple and noise. These supplies include high-precision source measure units, detector bias supplies, DC-DC converters, AC-DC power supplies, and multi-channel high-voltage systems. For more information, please visit ISEG's website at iseg-hv.com. The forward search experiment, or phaser, is one of nine experiments on CERN's Large Hadron Collider. Unlike huge multi-purpose detectors like CMS and ATLAS, which are located where the hadrons collide, phaser is much smaller and located about 480 meters downstream from a collision point. Recently, phaser has announced its first physics results the first ever detection of neutrinos produced in a collider. To talk about the experiment, I'm joined down the line from CERN by Jamie Boyd, who is co-spokesperson for Phaser. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the podcast, and congratulations on your detection of neutrinos. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Jamie, first to clarify... Neutrinos are routinely detected at some accelerators where particle beams are slammed into stationary targets. I think Fermilab and, and JPARC are two examples of that. How are these accelerator experiments different from phaser? Okay, yes, so you're completely correct. There's been many studies of neutrinos using what we call fixed target collisions, so where you sort of slam a particle beam into a stationary target. And this has been going on for decades and has been really important for sort of understanding the neutrino. What's uh, nice about producing neutrinos at particle colliders like the LHC is the neutrinos that we make are much higher energy. Uh, the LHC is the highest energy collider in the world. And so therefore, the neutrinos that we produce are up to about a factor of 10 higher energy than those produced in fixed target experiments. One thing that's nice about that, of course, is you can study high energy neutrinos and you could learn things about this. But another important point is neutrinos are extremely weakly interacting particles. And so, you know, there's uh, trillions of neutrinos that are passing through our body every second produced in the sun. And uh, this doesn't affect us at all because they basically don't interact with us. So traditionally, to make a neutrino experiment, you need a huge target mass. It, for most of these experiments, it's measured in hundreds or thousands of tons. But how lightly a neutrino is to interact is related to its energy. So higher energy neutrinos interact uh, more than lower energy neutrinos. And so at the LHC, where we produce these very high energy neutrinos, we can get away with a much smaller detector. So phaser just has a one ton target mass. 
but yet we're able to, to observe several, you know, tens of neutrino interactions um, without having these hundreds or thousands of ton target mass. And and how does phaser detect neutrinos? I mean, my understanding is that there's sort of several different ways you can detect them, several different interactions that you can take advantage of inside your the mass of your of your detector. How how does how does phaser work? Yeah, so that's a, a good question. In fact, we have a dedicated detector to study neutrinos in phaser. But slightly strangely, the result that we just released didn't use this detector, and I'll explain why, but used the electronic part of the detector, which was actually designed for um, other physics uh, goals. But um, in terms of the interaction, so neutrinos can interact with matter through two interactions. So one is when they uh, exchange a W boson. This is called a charge current interaction. And uh, then if you have a muon neutrino coming in, it undergoes a charge current interaction, then it produces a charged muon. If you have an electron neutrino, it produces a charged electron. If you have a tau neutrino, it produces a charged tau lepton. So this is one of the interactions. The other one is called a neutral current where you exchange a Z boson. And this uh, means the neutrino effectively scatters off the target, but produces particles from the, the scattering. So the, the subdetector of phaser, which is designed to search for neutrinos, um, uses actually a very old school technology called emulsion films. So these are actually very similar to photographic film that was used in the, in the past for photos. So this is uh, these emulsion films are interleaved between tungsten plates. Tungsten is a very dense uh, metal. It's twice as dense as lead. And so this acts as the target. And then in the interaction, charged particles are produced. And when they go through the emulsion films, they leave a chemical imprint in the films. We take the emulsion films out. We have to develop them in a dark room, similar to old photographic films. We scan them using very high resolution optical microscopes and digitize the images and use this to, to follow the charged particle trajectories and to find where the neutrino interacted, what happened after the interaction. So this is actually what we plan to do uh, to study neutrinos in phaser. The problem with this is it's quite a logistically heavy process and it takes quite a long time to do all of these steps that I mentioned. So we haven't managed to analyze that data yet, but we will see many nice neutrino interactions in that data. So in order to get a fast result, what we did was we used the electronics components of the phaser detector. And here we have what's called a tracking spectrometer. So this is silicon uh, tracking detectors that also measure charged particle trajectories uh, with magnets. So we can see the, the charged particles bending and we can measure their momentum uh, from the reconstructed charged particle track. And so what we look for here is that the muon interacts inside the tungsten, this one ton of tungsten in the front of phaser. It produces a muon particle that we then track through the detector. And uh, in order to remove the background, we have what's called scintillators at the very front of the detector, which basically allow us to get rid of events where charged particles enter the detector. So we see a neutral particle coming in, it interacts in the detector and produces a charged particle. And this is the signature of a, a muon neutrino charge current interaction. So that's what we did in order to, to see this uh, result that you mentioned. And you mentioned that these higher energy neutrinos are, are more likely to interact, but I'm guessing that detecting a, a neutrino, is, is, is it still a very rare event um, in phaser? Yes. Yeah, so um, we saw in our analysis, we saw 150 neutrino events, and this was data that was taken all of uh, 2022. So it's what's called 30 inverse femtobands of data, which corresponds to trillions of uh, proton-proton collisions. So it's definitely very rare. 
but it's a sizable number that you can start to you know, make uh, differential distributions to see the energy of these neutrinos and learn about the production of the neutrinos in the LHC and also about the neutrino interactions in this energy regime, which has never been studied before. So that's kind of the next steps. And, and the detector itself, it's, it's located about half a kilometer um, away from a collision point. I, I would have thought you'd want the detector as close to the collision point as possible so you can collect as many particles. Why, why are you 480 meters away? Yeah, so that's a, a very good question. So um, in the proton-proton collisions in the LHC, the neutrinos produced are very strongly peaked in what we call the forward direction, which is the same direction that the proton beams come in and out of the collision. So they're extremely collimated in this direction. And so to, to detect them, we need to put our detector on a line that is basically going through the collision, what we call the collision axis. The problem is you can't put a detector too close to the collision point on the collision axis because that's exactly where all of the LHC infrastructure is, where you have the LHC beam pipe and associated magnets. Once you go far enough away, a few hundred meters away, the LHC tunnel starts to curve away because in the end, the LHC is a circular collider. Uh, it curves away very slowly because the LHC has a circumference of 27 kilometers, so it's a, a really huge circle. But once you go a few hundred meters away, the LHC is starting to curve away. And the, the exact distance that phaser is from the collision point, this 480 meters, is actually just determined by existing infrastructure. So we wanted to put the detector on this collision axis, um, but the LHC is 100 meters underground, so uh, it would be very expensive to dig a specific uh, hole to put the detector there. It just happens that there's an existing tunnel that isn't used anymore that was, in fact, from the days of the previous accelerator inside the LHC tunnel. And uh, this existing tunnel is crossing this collision axis 480 meters away. And so that's where we put phaser, taking advantage of this sort of existing in infrastructure. Well, one of the nice things about this location, though, is not just that it's on the right line in the right place, but also if you're a particle that's produced in the collisions, to get to phaser, you have to go through 100 meters of rock. And this acts as a very nice shielding for potential background. So the only particles that can make it through this rock are basically neutrinos or muons. And so the muons constitute the main background that we see in our detector. But this uh, background rate is very low compared to the collision rate in the LHC, which is, you know, the, the particle, the protons are colliding 40 million times a second inside uh, the collision point. And we see particles at the rate of about a thousand a second in phaser. So this huge reduction in rate is really coming from this nice shielding of the location of the experiment. And that's very typical, isn't it, in a neutrino experiment? I think most neutrino experiments are, are buried deep underground, for example, in a mine to, to cut down on, on background. I mean, is, is sort of natural radiation also a problem with you uh, or with phaser? Do you, do you have to, to make sure that the materials that you, you make the detector out of uh, don't have a lot of uh, radioactive isotopes in them that can give you a background? Yeah, so for us, this isn't really a problem um, because the neutrinos we're studying are so high energy. So um, indeed, you're completely correct that for low energy neutrino experiments, and in particular dark matter experiments, they're, they're looking for very low energy signals, and these can be faked by uh, radio radiation. Uh, since the neutrinos we're looking for are very high energy, this isn't really a problem. Although there is a potential problem that these emulsion films I mentioned can just get um, what we call fogged by low energy radiation. So if there's too many low energy particles, they can't really fake the neutrino signal, but they can kind of block it out by just causing too many hits inside the detector. 
And in fact, uh, there's a lot of radiation in the LHC from the collisions. And so it was one of the concerns at the beginning that this radiation just in the LHC tunnel could be a problem for our detector. It can also affect the electronics that we use in the electronic detector. But we measured this and it turns out actually, luckily, the location of phaser happens to be a, a sort of spot where there's quite low radiation for the LHC and it's, it's not a problem for, for the experiment. And, and what do you hope um, to learn from studying the neutrinos um, that, that you detect? I mean, there, there's lots of different neutrino experiments all around the world that are looking at different things. I'm guessing that there's probably something very special that you can determine from neutrinos produced in, in hadron collisions that other experiments can't, can't uh, winnow out. Yeah, no, there's many things we can learn, actually. And it's um, so one thing is we're just studying neutrinos in a different energy regime. So as I said, sort of much higher energies than have been studied previously. So this isn't 100% true. So we're studying the highest energy neutrinos from a man-made source, so from an accelerator, a nuclear reactor, etc. But in fact, there are very high energy neutrinos that are produced um, in space, either by very high energy cosmic ray particles hitting the atmosphere, producing showers which can contain very high energy neutrinos or even more interestingly from neutrinos which are produced in deep space, what they call extragalactic neutrinos, could be coming from things like uh, black holes or uh, supernovae. And these have been detected by things like the ice cube experiment. They're extremely high energy. And so a phaser sits somewhere in between these two regimes, the kind of fixed target experiment energies and these uh, very high energy neutrinos from space. So studying that is very important to give input to these uh, neutrinos from space to understand the backgrounds and the interaction probabilities. So that's one direction which is, is very interesting. Another thing is just testing the sort of fundamental properties of neutrinos and of the standard model in the energy regime that we study with neutrinos at the LHC. So for example, we can compare uh, the interactions of electron, muon, and tau neutrinos and, and see uh, if we can probe what's called lepton flavor universality, the fact that all the leptons should interact with the same strength. Uh, and then another thing which is very interesting is we can actually study um, forward hadron production. So the neutrinos that we see are coming from the decay of things like pions, kaons, charm particles that are produced in the very forward direction. And so we can use the neutrinos to learn about this forward production, which we can't do with other experiments, because as I mentioned, the very forward direction isn't a place you can put a detector because the beam pipe is there. So kind of using the neutrinos as a, a proxy for forward hadron production allows to study this in quite some detail. And this is, is quite interesting for further understanding the strong force, which is the force which makes these hadrons in the proton collisions. So there's actually quite a broad spectrum of different physics that you can do using these neutrinos, sort of studying physics that's related to what we call particle astrophysics, so understanding particles that come from space, using that to understand space. We can also study uh, the, st the standard model, the fundamental interactions uh, that are described by the standard model. And we can also use it to understand the strong force in terms of this Ford Hadron production. And and when you when you get a neutrino signal in phaser, are you able? Is there any way that you can link it back to a, a specific interaction that's happened at the collision point? Because I suppose there's a detector at the collision point that's watching. Um, is it possible for you to? I mean, is the word trigger? Is that is that the right word? I'm, I don't, I don't yeah, know yeah, what the word is, is uh, but can you can you link? <laughs> Uh, a collision at the 
uh, detected by that. W- which detector is it? Is it is it so Atlas it's the or Atlas CMS? It's Atlas. Okay, so mm-hmm. so can you see a, 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 a you know you detect your neutrino and then you look back at what Atlas has detected and say aha. I can link those two, or is that is that something that's very difficult to do? Yeah, so it's very difficult to have a real trigger, as you mentioned, actually because um, there's not enough time, because uh, 500 meters is, is quite far, so you'd have to send a signal from Phaser to Atlas and then tell Atlas to trigger uh, the readout of his detector. And uh, there's not enough time in the Atlas, what we call the latency of the Atlas trigger, to for this signal to get there and then to initiate its uh, logic uh, such that we can read out the event. Um, if it turns out that Atlas has triggered on an event and Phaser has also triggered on an event, we can combine the information using uh, what we call the bunch identifier. So we know which colliding bunch in the LHC uh, was responsible for the neutrino in Phaser. And we could use that information to sort of combine the data of the two experiments. But this is only true for a neutrino signal that we would see in the electronic detector of Phaser. In this emulsion detector that I mentioned, there's actually no time information at all. And this is one of the challenges of that type of detector, that um, you basically see all the signals from charged particles in this emulsion film uh, for the whole period that that detector was installed, which is normally several months or two months or so. And you can't tell when the neutrinos that you see from reconstructing these charged particle tracks, when it occurred in that two-month period. So it's very different from... Uh, traditional particle physics detectors, which have very good time resolution and have very accurate timing information. And, and Jamie, you're not only looking for neutrinos. Um, yeah, I, I think you you know you're looking for particles. I suppose hypothetical particles beyond the standard model of particle physics. Um, c- can you talk a bit about some of those hypothetical particles? I mean, I think there's one particle in particular that you're looking for that could give us important clues regarding the, the nature of dark matter. Yeah, that's exactly right. So in fact, Phaser wasn't designed originally to study neutrinos at all. It was just designed to search for these particles that you're mentioning. In particular, one of the ones that we are really targeting is called the dark photon. And this is introduced in uh, sort of models which try to explain dark matter. And uh, typically when you make a, do- a model that tries to explain dark matter, it has too much dark matter left in the universe uh, once the universe has sort of uh, expanded after the Big Bang. So we measure how much dark matter there is in the universe today. And uh, in order to get the right amount of dark matter in your model compared to the measurement, um, you typically have to have a particle that can interact with dark matter and the standard model. And this allows the dark matter particles to annihilate and produce standard model particles. This is what's sometimes called the mediator between dark matter and the standard model. So the dark photon is a very uh, famous uh, example of this mediator. So it's one of the most searched for particles uh, in these models trying to explain dark matter. And that's a particle that we could see in phaser if it's got the right mass and the right coupling. It could be produced in the forward region of the LHC collisions. So in particular, it could be produced in pion decay. Um, It would only be produced in something like 1 in 10 to the 10 pions. So you need a huge number of collisions, a huge number of pions in order to be able to see this. And in the kind of region of parameter space, which is interesting for dark matter and for which phaser has sensitivity, these dark photons could then travel 480 meters into the phaser detector before they decay. They would decay into an electron and a positron, and we would then see that in our tracker and our calorimeter inside the phaser detector. So that's what we're searching for. And in fact, we just released the first uh, result of such a search uh, for dark photons. 
Unfortunately, we didn't see any events that looked like what I just described. So we saw zero events. We expected a background of very close to zero events. But we were able to exclude regions of this parameter space in this mass and coupling, which are in a region that's motivated by dark matter. So um, of course, it would be much better if I could say we saw something exciting. But we were able already with the small amount of data that we collected last year to start to exclude interesting regions of parameter space. And Jamie, something that I've often, you know, sort of wondered about is is when you're designing an experiment that it, you know sort of aims at detecting hypothetical particles, you know, particles that we don't we don't know much about. They're you know predicted by certain theoretical interpretations. How you know how, how exactly do do you go about doing that? Do you, do you spend a lot of time? talking to theoretical physicists and asking them to to calculate various properties of these particles and then do you try to 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 design a detector that is sort of as general as possible <laughs> you know just in case some of those some of those parameters are 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 off i mean it must be a huge challenge and there there must be lots of sort of critical decisions that you have to make in, in designing the detector. Can, can you give us a sort of a flavor of, of what went into designing? Phaser? Yeah, no, this is a, a really good question. And I think phase is quite a good example because we just uh, did design it not very long ago. We installed it in the long shutdown of the LHC in 2020, 2021. And we took first data last year. So we're really in this uh, sort of young experiment that was recently designed. So phaser was actually proposed, the idea was proposed by some theorists um, from the US, and uh, they came up with the very simple idea of how the detector should be. Um, actually, what was quite nice about phaser was um, the, the size of the detector is really quite small. It's only the active region of the experiment is only 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. And so this allows us to actually reuse um, existing spare parts of other experiments. So phaser is built from the phaser tracker is built from spare parts from uh, the Atlas silicon tracker. And the calorimeter that we use in phaser is spare parts from the LHCB experiment. So this allowed us to move quite quickly and to, to be able to produce the detector in a sort of quite affordable way. But of course, you're right. The most important thing is the detector can do the job that it needs to do to, to search for these particles. Uh, so we have uh, for this, we have, of course, simulation programs which are produced by the theorists, which tell us you know, the signature that we would expect for certain types of parameters for the signal. But you're definitely right that we want to try and be as broad as possible. And if there was a theory that came up later uh, that could change some of these parameters, change a little bit what we're looking for, we really want to be able to still be sensitive to that. And so there's always a kind of um, balancing act between trying not to be too specific, but of course, trying to be affordable and to, to be built in the time that we had. For phaser, one of the critical sort of bits of design choice was how big the detector should be. And uh, the nice thing is in this Ford region of the LHC, the, the pions are produced extremely uh, collimated with the proton collision axis that I mentioned. And so this means that even 500 meters away, a detector that's only 20 centimeters across, which is covering a tiny angle with respect to the kind of beam, but even with such a small detector, you're able to have really quite good sensitivity for these models for things produced in pion decay. One thing that we're not so good at is for new particles that could be produced in the decay of heavier particles, which are produced more spread out with respect to the beam. And so, in fact, there is an idea which we're working on to, to produce a sort of bigger version of phaser with maybe one meter uh, dimension instead of 10 centimeter dimension that would allow us to, to have sensitivity to 
new particles that could be produced in the decay of things like uh, beauty and charm quarks, which are produced more spread out with respect to the beamline. Because you've got, I'm just, uh, I'm just looking at you, Jamie, on the screen, and I can see behind you there's a picture <laughs> of the detector in the tunnel, yeah. and I can see that th there is quite a bit of room. You could, you could make the detector quite a bit bigger, couldn't you? I mean, is that sort of the plan? As as time goes on, you sort of add, add new new capabilities to the detector, maybe make it a bit, a bit wider. I suppose you could also make it longer as well. That would sort of increase yeah, well, its efficiency. So it turns out um, in the tunnel where phaser is placed, it's not so easy, in fact, to make it bigger because you're right that there is some room, but the detector really needs to be centered on this collision axis and the collision axis is very low in this tunnel. Um, so it's not so easy. So in fact, what we're looking at now is quite an ambitious idea to dig a new cavern. Uh, this is a project that's called the Ford Physics Facility and it's just an idea at the moment. But um, if you could dig a new cavern, but still be on this collision axis line of sight, then you would have much more room to build a bigger detector like phaser, but also you could have additional experiments, especially related to studying these neutrinos. So for example, there's an idea to put what's called a liquid argon TPC. This is a sort of famous type of um, neutrino detector that has some very nice capabilities. Um, so you would have room to put some a few different types of detector, which could have sort of 10 ton uh, target mass rather than one ton for neutrino interactions. And this would allow us to see things like something like a million neutrino interactions and really study these high energy neutrinos in more detail. So that's something that's being discussed, but it's uh, at the moment, it's just an idea. And, and what's the, the current status of the, uh, of the Large Hadron Collider? Is it, it's, is it running at the moment? Um, and are you taking data? So it's just starting up after the Christmas break. They always have a kind of shutdown for the Christmas period. Um, and they're just starting up. In fact, the beam commissioning started last week. It takes a few weeks to test the beam before they start producing physics collisions, but that should happen in a few weeks time. And the plan is then it would run until sort of uh, autumn time and then it shuts down for winter. And it does this um, until 2025. And then there's another long shutdown where they will um, install upgrades to the experiments and also actually to the accelerator. After this, it enters a phase that's called the high luminosity LHC, where they'll have much higher collision rate um, due to the new stuff that they've installed during this long shutdown. So in fact, for Phaser, which at the moment is designed to run just through this run three, so until 2025, last year we collected what's called 13 versus femtobarns. This is a sort of measure of how many collisions we collect. And in this run, we expect 300 inverse femtobarns. So Phaser should, should take 10 times more data than the data that was used for the results that we've discussed today. And um, that means, of course, that we should see much more neutrinos and we should be able to probe much more of this dark photon parameter space and, and hopefully uh, start to see something interesting. Well, that's that's really interesting, Jamie. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, and, and talking about Phaser. And um, I think uh, if if listeners go to the CERN uh, Web page, they can find um, they can find information about phaser and i think there's a video of you isn't there sort of explaining uh how yeah, things I work think so. yeah exactly i think uh, yeah there should be a link either if you search for phaser inside the cern web page or uh, there is a link in the sort of physics section related to phaser which then uh, can take you to various uh, resources that's great jimmy thanks and and again congratulations to you and all your colleagues for um for finding those neutrinos no problem thanks a lot for having me Uh, 
I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast. Thanks to Jamie Boyd for talking about the phaser experiment, and to our producer Fred Isles for his editing excellence. This podcast is sponsored by ISEG. High voltage power supplies made by ISEG means high voltage, exactly. For more information, please visit the ISEG website. That's iseg-hv.com. We'll be back again next week when I'm in conversation with a theoretical physicist who now works in computational science with a focus on using machine learning to study a wide range of systems. But in the meantime, please check out the latest episode of the Physics World Stories podcast. Host Andrew Glester talks to two physicists about the Bell Burnell Graduate Scholarship Fund, which was founded in 2018 by the astrophysicist Jocelyn Bell Burnell, using money that she had won in two major prizes. Gluster's guests are Helen Gleason, a liquid crystals and soft matter researcher at the University of Leeds, who is chair of the selection panel for the fund, and also by a fund awardee, Joanna Sikowska, who is doing a PhD at the University of Surrey. This work involves studying the formation and evolution of the Magellanic Cloud galaxies while searching for neighboring ultrafaint dwarf galaxies believed to contain large quantities of dark matter. This episode of the Stories podcast is called Cosmic Generosity, a Selfless Investment in the Future of Physics, and you can find it and other episodes of the Stories podcast on the Physics World website or at your favorite podcast provider. Physics World.